Hello, my name is Tom Boone. And I'm Joanna Bailey. Welcome to the Simple Flying Podcast, where we will give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Now, let's get on with the show. Coming up in today's show, industry body Kappa releases a stark prediction on the coronavirus impact on airlines, and Tom fills us in on the frequent flyer schemes from low-cost carriers. We take a look at some of the impacts of the coronavirus on the world's airlines, and a look back at the year that's passed since the Boeing 737 MAX was grounded. And Air Tahiti Nui sets a new record for the longest flight in the world, and it was a domestic flight too. So, let us begin. So, first topic I wanted to chat about really, Tom, was um, the report released by Kappa, uh, which came out um, at the beginning of this week. So, um, it was a pretty stark warning for airlines and, and it was kind of targeted at governments. So, what they said was that a number of airlines would be bankrupt by May. I mean, this isn't a could be or might be. It was a very definite prediction that without help, airlines will fail. Um, And what they're doing, they're calling upon action by governments to support the airlines in these very uncertain times. Um, And what Kappa actually said was that some airlines have probably already entered what they're calling technical bankruptcy. So, they're they're already kind of, their debts are outweighing their their revenues. And um, they're saying that they're probably already breaching debt covenants um, and that cancellations are outweighing their forward bookings. You know, you can believe that because there's so much going on with in terms of flights being stopped and grounded and planes being taken out of rotation. Um, and, you know, they're saying that one of the biggest risks at the moment is this lack of cooperation. And I think we've maybe seen that in Europe more so than in the US, um, because although Trump kind of stepped up with a an unexpected travel ban, at least it was the whole of the US. You know, here in, in Europe, there's various countries doing various things at different times. And, you know, one country has got its borders closed. Another one's allowing certain people in and out, you know, and for airlines, it must just be the biggest, most massive headache to try and sort all this out, don't you think? Oh, I can imagine. Yeah, I'm sure it is a bit of a headache because I've noticed even from a sort of a media perspective, when we're interacting with airlines, it's become a completely different story because unless it's on the topic of the latest coronavirus news, they just, um, they don't have time to sift through it at the moment. Um, yeah. But it's, it's, it's a shame because there is other news going on, yeah. <laughs> but it kind of, it all pales into insignificance up against all the, the virus news that's going on. And, you know, as much as we try to present a balanced opinion on simple flying and to bring the other news as well, you know, without doubt, the stories that are getting the most traffic are the ones about the cancellations and groundings. So it's what people want to read as well. And Um, I think it was really interesting as well that um, this crisis has become so bad now that um, it's even brought enemies together. You know, yesterday, um, the three big alliances, One World, Star Alliance and Sky Team all came together for a joint statement on um, saying everyone should help the airline industry if they can. And, you know, (laughs) you know, it's bad when people who 
their very purposes to work against each other suddenly come together. <laughs> Absolutely. And we're seeing a lot of joined up thinking from sort of airlines in different areas of the world as well. I mean, the UK airlines collectively, you know, as a team have called upon the UK government to provide a support or straight loan package worth £7.5 billion so that they can kind of draw down emergency funding when they need to without having to go through the rigmarole of starting a new claim. Um, and in the US just last night, well, maybe by the time this has gone out, this will all have changed. But um, just last night in the US, the, the big airlines got together and called for $50 billion worth of measures to try and help them survive. So what CAPA is calling upon basically is for governments to listen to their airlines and to really start taking some action to ensure we don't have too many casualties. I mean, I think, you know, one or two more casualties is almost a given at this stage, um, depending on how long this drags on for. But, you know, they're saying that governments really need to step up now to make sure that there's not as many failures as there could be. Maybe this will all have changed by Thursday when yeah. this podcast goes out and uh, America will have given their airlines 50 million and the UK will have given theirs 7.5 billion. But at the moment, nobody's really putting their hand in their pockets. You know, national governments have got an awful lot of money to find for other things like uh, healthcare. And, uh, you know, in some respects, you can kind of understand why airlines aren't necessarily high on their list of priorities of things I mean, they need to sort out. I don't think they necessarily deserve to be the top because obviously, clearly the top needs to be dealing with this thing. But they certainly should be up there because there's other f things um, that really can wait, whereas the airlines are really struggling. Like they're going to be not, they're not obviously the top priority, but I would say they're sort of second or third up there. Yeah. And I think what was interesting in the, the CAPA report, um, you know, do go and have a read of it if you get a chance. Um, they kind of made a prediction on what would happen if the governments do nothing and what could happen if the governments do something. And, and if nothing is done and airlines do fail, what we'll end up with is a very fragmented kind of not fit for the future aviation industry that's, you know, all flag carriers and state-owned airlines and all the kind of smaller independents disappear, obviously remove the competition, driving up fair prices, and none of us want that. So hopefully, fingers crossed, the governments will be able to find a little bit of money down the back of the sofa well, to support their airlines. Yeah, I hope so, certainly, because I'm a bit worried that we're not going to have much to talk about in future podcasts if all <laughs> of the airlines go down. That is a worry. You know, if uh, if all international flights stop, what are we going to write about on Simple Flying? But <laughs> we'll have to just have to wait and see. So we did want to intersperse the podcast with news yes. that wasn't coronavirus. <laughs> so Tom's got some interesting information break. on uh, yeah, something that's uh, <laughs> alternative to COVID-19. So here's our scheduled break on coronavirus. And I wanted to talk about uh, low-cost frequent flyer schemes, which is something that's sort of around and not around, you know. Um, EasyJet and Wizz Air currently offer schemes that cost around £200 to join. Um, I believe EasyJet says EasyJet Plus and Wizz Air's is Wizz Privilege Pass. Um, so they're about £200 to join, which is around $250 for our American listeners. And um, they don't actually give you sort of the traditional frequent flyer benefits. That is to say, you don't earn points with them and um, your loyalty isn't necessarily rewarded. Instead, when you pay this uh, membership fee, you get a load of extras with your booking. So whereas the low-cost carriers typically charge you for anything that's not 
um, a guaranteed spot on the flight, such as baggage and priority boarding. If you sign up to these schemes, then you get them. And it was interesting mm-hmm. because around a year ago, Ryanair announced that they were going to get in this boat with their scheme Ryanair Choice. Um, mm-hmm. And even now, if you look at the Ryanair website, it says we're introducing a new frequent flyer program for a 199 euro annual membership fee. Ryanair Choice offers members free seats, fast track, and priority boarding for frequent flyers. Cool. Now, at the time, the Independent reported that by sort of late last summer, this scheme should be in motion and. Any frequent flyer with Ryanair will know that such a thing doesn't exist. So when I met with Michael O'Leary a couple of weeks ago, I decided, let's see what's happening. So we chatted about this, and he told me that Kenny, um, who's leaving the airline after six years as the CMO, launched Ryanair Choice as an idea, an idea to copy Amazon Prime. We have nothing to add to it at the moment, as it hasn't yet been developed. When I pushed him to ask if they're still looking at it, he said, we're looking at it, but it's kind of a long way down our list of development priorities. And I'm sure it's got an even further way down the list with the ongoing (laughs) coronavirus. So it's interesting. I mean, do you think we'll ever see such a scheme from Ryanair, Joe? I mean, maybe. I don't really, I'm not convinced on the value of these frequent flyer schemes, to be honest, Tom. I mean, I don't know if anybody's actually done the maths, but you know, it seems like you'd have to fly an awful lot in order to make back the money that you invest in the the scheme itself. It's interesting that you say that because I have actually done the maths. Why Um, doesn't that surprise me? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm talking to the man who weighed a High Life magazine just to find out how much carbon could be saved by removing them from all BA flights. So no, it doesn't surprise me. We should definitely (laughs) delve into that one day. Um, But no, I did the maths and um, because obviously Ryanair sells single flights you know if you book a return flight you're buying two single flights there's no return fares um and i worked it out that in uh with the price of 199 euros if that sticks then uh, with the benefits that you receive you'd have to fly 10 individual legs or five return flights for it to be um worthwhile so i think i think for somebody like me um i do travel with ryanair a lot because it's convenient and cheap um and i don't to be honest, I don't usually pay for all of these benefits. I pay for a, a bag usually, but um, I don't care about priority boarding or fast track or even choosing a seat. But um, yeah. I think I would I would invest in it myself if it existed um, because I do fly with them a lot. And yeah. um, I think it would be worthwhile then. But if, for your occasional Ryanair traveler, obviously, it makes absolutely no sense. I think you've got to be a regular traveler to make the most of it. I mean, I, I have previously looked with jealousy at the people jumping on an EasyJet flight because flying out of Bristol is my main hub. EasyJet is my uh, go-to low-cost carrier. And uh, yeah, I've quite often looked with jealousy at the people who do have the EasyJet Plus and they're allowed to take on their their wheelie bag and their handbag, whereas I've got to try and cram my handbag into my wheelie bag in order to board the plane. So uh, yeah, I mean, I can see it's got its benefits and it definitely reduces stress, but it's not a frequent flyer program in the sense of something that you can earn points and miles and then redeem them on, is it? You don't get anything for being a loyal customer, um, apart from the savings, of course. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's interesting when when I'm ever flying on EasyJet, I always pay so that I don't have to take any bags with me on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's cool. And uh, I know they do do something with my mobile phone where you're allowed to check in your bag for free. So that's quite good. But it's only on departing the UK. So on the way back, I always have to take my wheelie case with me. Yeah, it's interesting because I did it from departing Gibraltar. And um, like that is obviously sort of semi-UK, I guess, depending yeah, on how you look I on it. But technically um, it's entirely UK. Yeah, like um, they refused to give me some of the benefits um, at the time. And I did chase this up with EasyJet and I think they've since clarified that with the staff in Gibraltar because the staff in Gibraltar really didn't have a clue what was going on. <laughs> but that was obviously like a year ago now so a lot could yeah. have changed. Well with Brexit you don't know how it's going to change so mm. uh, let's not get started on that one because <laughs> no. that's another topic we avoid Put talking about on the, on the podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I'm afraid though we do have to maybe go back to the uh, coronavirus outbreak momentarily. Um, I did feel that we needed to provide some sort of an update as to what's going on with airlines around the world. Um, so really, all I've done is grab some of the headlines from the last sort of week to 10 days regarding what's happening with uh, with airlines. Um, I think, uh, you know, Europe, we're seeing a lot of um, flights being suspended. SAS, the Scandinavian carrier, has suspended most of its flights um, and is looking at laying off 90% of its staff. Um, it's the same story with Virgin, Virgin Atlantic, 85% of the fleet's grounded, but they're actually avoiding laying off any staff at the moment. They're, they've asked all of their staff to take two months unpaid leave, um, which is going to be spread over a salary for the next, I think, 10 months or something. So in effect, everybody's taking a bit of a pay cut and getting two months off, but it means they're not firing anyone, which is great. Um KLM is looking at axing 2,000 jobs and 40% of its flights. Air Baltic is entirely grounded. They've suspended all their flights. Uh, the all-business airline La Compagnie, did I say that right, Tom? No La clue. <laughs> La Compagnie, maybe. They've suspended everything. Austrian suspended everything. Lot Polish have suspended everything. Um, EasyJet's looking at grounding most of its aircraft. Um, and then across the pond, we've got in the USA, the big three carriers, Delta's grounded about 300 planes um, and is storing its wide bodies, including its uh, lovely A350s. Um, United Airlines is looking at a 50% cut in capacity um, and is also looking at its, its eyeballing getting rid of some people, which is sad. Um, American Airlines has grounded most of its wide body fleet. Um, in other parts of the world, Cathay Pacific, um, just yesterday we got a report that it had sold six of its 777s um, on a sale and leaseback agreement with Bock Aviation. So it raised about $700 million through that action, which will obviously give it a little bit of uh, breathing room, I guess, in these, these tough times. But it's leased them straight back, so it's not actually getting rid of the aircraft. And I think that's a kind of trend in Asia. You know, a lot of the leases are offering these deals to the worst affected airlines. And it's, it's quite a good way of... Uh, raising some liquidity without actually losing any of their fleet. Um, so in the Middle East, obviously, we talked a lot last week about all these airlines that are grounding their A380s. Um, you know, when you think of the A380, you can't help but think of Emirates. Um, and they don't really have a choice because their fleet is mostly big, wide body planes. Um, they've grounded about 20 of their A380s. But I do feel that number is going to have to rise in the coming days and weeks. Well, especially um, as they 
are almost certainly just relying on transfer traffic at the moment because I think the UAE has suspended all incoming uh, people who aren't citizens or permanent residents. Yeah, so. also in Qatar, um, transit passengers are allowed as long as they stay airside, basically. Um, but anyone else, you know, no foreign nationals are being allowed into the, the, the nation. So... Um, you know, it's the same story around the world, really. Um, some of the interesting things we have seen is that um, some airlines are actually retiring their older aircraft early, um, which is obviously good for the future of the planet and for the global aviation fleet to have uh, younger aircraft. But I mean, specifically, we've looked at Singapore has retired some 777-200ERs. American Airlines is looking at bringing forward its retirement plans for its 767s and 757s. So, you you know, these were old aircraft that were going to leave the fleets anyway. And I guess it makes more sense to get rid of them now and kind of cut those costs while they're not really using the aircraft. What um, I'm interested in seeing is whether retiring these now will lead to a flurry of orders when the, um, the situation's over. Because obviously, these aircraft... I mean, you can these aircraft that are being retired, some of them were already earmarked to be retired, so the orders to replace them will already have been um, put out. But there's a lot of um, everyone just like throwing everything at the moment, and um, I do wonder if it will bounce back in uh, when this <laughs> situation is gone and everyone's suddenly like, oh, we need these planes. <laughs> Quite possibly, and I, I sure hope so. You know, I, one of the questions I was going to ask you, Tom, is, you know, should we be worried about international aviation? Should we be worried about our airlines? Um, you know, the information I'm seeing is that this is way worse than SARS. You know, yeah. it's spread much well, more mean, quickly and had a much wider impact. I mean, um, say, um, Alex Cruz, BA's CEO, has said this is the worst thing that he's ever encountered in his entire aviation career, and that includes SARS and and MERS and 9-11. 9-11, um, yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's, I think, I think we can certainly expect that the industry won't be the same once we recover from this, but people are still going to need to travel, you know. Um, once this has settled down, there's not just going to be, people aren't going to say, oh, I'm never going to travel again. Um, no, that's true. It would true. be back in the dark ages, you know. It's, it's, yeah. People are going to need to travel, but it's going to be who they travel with because the ground is going to have changed very significantly. I agree. Absolutely. And I think the big thing at the moment is that there's no end in sight. We have mm. no idea whether, you know, this will calm down by the summer or by Christmas or whether we'll still be here talking about the same stuff this time next year. You know, oh, it's I really quite not. concerning. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm with you there, Tom. It's uh, it's becoming a bit like, uh, you know, Brexit was on the yes, news a few yes, months I ago. Yes, I Brexit now. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So I think, you know, just to round off kind of our coverage, of coronavirus, what's the message for passengers? You know, if you've got a flight booked or if you're stranded somewhere else, what should we say passengers should be doing? I mean, the number one thing is make sure that the airline has your up-to-date contact details because um, a lot of people are panicking and contacting their airlines. If there is a problem with your flight, if they've got your details, they will come to you and sort it out. Whereas um, most of the airlines now have been saying, unless you're flying in the next 72 hours, don't call us. Um, yeah. Because the people who are flying in 72 hours need to sort their flights out now. The people who are flying in May have plenty of time to sort their stuff out. And it feels a bit harsh saying that because they may want to know now, but it's impossible to know now. It's a rapidly developing situation. So, yeah. um, I mean, I think the advice is just 
make sure your airline has your up-to-date details and check your booking online. And um, unless you're flying within the next, say, three or four days, just wait. Um, let yeah. those other people sort out their problems first. And if you are stranded anywhere as well um, without flights, it's worth just seeing if you can contact your uh, local consulate or embassy because I believe um, when I was reading the stuff from Austria and yesterday they said they're keeping two aircraft um, in service so that the Austrian government can repatriate people if necessary but that people yeah, should contact the government. Yeah, we had similar stories from, uh, you know, from uh, Norwegian yeah. and, you know, all the airlines that are grounding huge portions of their fleets are going to keep a couple of aircraft ticking over yeah. specifically for, you know, sort of government orchestrated repatriation flights. So, mm. If you are stranded abroad, and I know a few people are, it's. I think the advice really is to sit tight because somebody will be coming to get you. Yeah. <laughs> maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but yeah. soon. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So, Tom, um, I believe we, we can move on, hooray, from yeah. coronavirus to so, um, the other thing that's been dominating <laughs> the headlines thing. over the last year. Yeah. Go for it. So um, it seems strange that we're breaking up coverage of something else with Boeing 737 MAX coverage. Um, <laughs> but last week was actually a year since the aircraft was first grounded. So, um, I mean, most people know the narrative by now, but I'm going to sort of go over the basics just in case anyone's interested or still doesn't know. Um, firstly, 29th of October 2018, departing Jakarta, a Lion Air Boeing 737 MAX um, operating flight 610 crashed shortly after departure with 189 fatalities. And everyone at the time was a bit like, how can a brand new aircraft crash? <laughs> uh, what's this all about? But um, nothing, there was no immediate um, grounding or anything because crashes happen and we needed to um, look into it and see what happened. But then, on the 10th of March 2019, departing Addis Ababa, an Ethiopian uh, MAX operating flight 302 crashed with 157 fatalities, bringing the total to 346. And what was interesting about this Ethiopian flight was very quickly similarities were drawn between that and the crash in Jakarta. And immediately after the crash, Ethiopian grounded its fleet of Maxes, uh, but other Maxes were allowed to continue flying. And then the next day, sort of the first inkling that this was more serious than maybe people thought um, was the case when the Civil Aviation Administration of China grounded the aircraft. Yeah. And after they were that, the we, first, weren't they? They were the sort of, I, I think there may have been like one or two smaller. Um, people, because obviously, like Ethiopia grounded them uh, oh, yeah, the day before, yeah. but um, I'd say the the Chinese were the the first big aviation authority to take action. Um, and then again, like on the eleventh, not too much happened. Um, there's a couple more small people here and there saying we're not going to fly it anymore. Um, but then the interesting day for me was the twelfth, because throughout the day there were lots of European nations one by one saying. No, no, no. So Germany, the UK. And then towards the end of the day, EASA just said, no Maxes in Europe, which is uh, was a big call because there are quite a few Maxes already operating in Europe. You've got TUI, you've got Norwegian. Yeah. Um, and then obviously the next day on the 13th, Trump grounded the plane worldwide. And since then, the only flights have been sort of maintenance test flights and ferrying them to storage. 
Yeah. Um, which, interestingly, we saw yesterday because yesterday Air Canada flew a second 737 MAX um, into we, – we believe it's into storage. We haven't had um, – any clarification to say that's definitely the place, but um, they've flown them from Montreal to near Tucson in Arizona. And I've been to Tucson, and the reason I went to Tucson was because they have a huge aircraft graveyard there. So um, uh. I think it's fair to say that, um, I mean, why else would um, Air Canada send two 737 Maxes to the desert? They're almost certainly being stored. Mm-hmm. Um but what I do think is interesting is that aircraft still now in March are being sent to storage when um, the FAA is sort of, uh, well, I mean, like there's no set date, but the sort of current return to service mark is um, end of June, early July. Um, and obviously, there's always the risk that this is going to move further and further, as we've seen previously. But uh, what do you think, Joe? Could we yeah, maybe it see it back? It. or? Well, it seems odd that they've kept them all through, yeah. you know, kind of the tough Canadian winter. Yeah. And now as we're coming into the IATA summer season, they're sticking them down in the desert. You know, you think they'd have done that kind of last fall. But, uh, you know, I, I guess that they're not planning a return of the MAX at all this year. That's that's kind of the message that we get with that ferry flight from Air Canada, even if it's ungrounded, you know, as the FAA is predicting kind of mid-summer time. I don't think airlines are going to need them. You know, I mean, it would make some sense to swap out older aircraft such as 737NGs with the MAX because they're more fuel efficient. But maybe it's just too much of a headache. You know, they, they need to, by the sounds of it, the pilots are going to need additional simulator training. They're obviously going to need to bring these aircraft out of mothballs, which has an expense of its own. Or they can just carry on flying the fleets they've got or part of them, you know, while the global travel demand is so, so suppressed. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think we'll see many MAX flying this year, even if the grounding is lifted, because I think airlines are just doing everything they can to try and reduce their expenses. Well, I do think it's interesting because previously we've had Boeing telling how they're going to get this fleet back into the air as quickly as possible. And now there's really no need for it. No, <laughs> it's a, it's a almost. A, I don't. What's the phrase when it's kind of something bizarre like yeah, this? I, I don't know. There is an English phrase that really sums it up, but I can't. It's on the tip of my tongue. But yeah, it's it's a sad situation for Boeing. Really, you know, they're almost at the finish line, yeah. and now their airlines are like, well, actually, you know, so just near to keep yet them. so far. <laughs> yeah, so near yet so far. So it really raises questions about Boeing because they're obviously not building any more Maxes until they've they said that not until they've delivered the 500 they've got in storage is that right i i was under the impression that they would restart production um before then because obviously it takes a while to build an aircraft and they want to have them sort of once the 500 have been delivered they want um them to be more (laughs) yeah uh, they don't want to have a sort of delay in um in yeah. that process. So um, I think it's an interesting one. And again, as I say every week, I think it's one that we just need to wait and watch. Definitely. Oh, well, we'll we will be waiting and yes. watching and uh, particularly seeing as it's non-COVID news. Yes, anything. <laughs> we will be watching intently. Anything, please. <laughs> just help me. It's, uh, yeah, a pretty boring time to be an aviation journalist. Well, I mean, it's not, not boring, boring, but, but it's, it's kind just, of same, same, isn't it? It's It's... <laughs> working me down a bit you know i'm just like i want i i don't think i've written a story that's not been about coronavirus for the last week and it's just like please give me something else (laughs) 
<laughs> well, I did write one that was not about coronavirus oh, earlier yeah. this week. Well, and, I, 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 it's semi about coronavirus because it wouldn't have happened <laughs> without coronavirus. Oh, you have to stick it in there, don't you, Tom? <laughs> well, what it was is uh, Air Tahiti Nui, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but I'm going to go for it, um, actually conducted the world's longest ever flight. And uh, it's not only the longest ever flight, it's the longest domestic flight. Um, and it took almost 16 hours to fly. So it's the furthest a Dreamliner has ever flown. It was a 7879, um, which most people will recognize the Air Tahiti um, 787. It's very beautiful, got a very beautiful interior. Um, and although they've they've only got a very small fleet, it's kind of all wide body and they're all really beautifully liveried. So um, yeah, everybody loves hearing stories about the Air Tahiti 787. And what it was is normally they offer, operate a service between Papiti and Paris with a stopover in Los Angeles en route. However, Trump's travel ban, um, which is due to the thing we're not talking about, um, stopped them. They, they could no longer kind of deplane or emplane anybody in Los Angeles mm. because te- technically they're coming from France and going to France, even and though it's on the other side of the world. I mean, the problem with Los Angeles is that you have to, when you're changing, uh, even if you're not getting off the plane, you have to get off the plane, go through customs and then uh, go back on the plane. So um, that's the problem. You've got to do passport control, even if you're just staying on the same plane. Stopping for a refuel. Yeah, Yeah. crazy. So anyway, they couldn't stop in LA. And as such, they decided to operate the flight nonstop on March the 15th. So this was Sunday. um, And they took a plane load of passengers directly from Papiti to Paris. um, And that is 15,715 kilometers. So that's longer than the world's longest regular flight, which is obviously the Singapore Airlines service between Singapore and Newark. And that comes in at 15,000. 1,343 kilometres. Um, and because of the technicality that the uh, Tahitian Islands are actually part of, or the Polynesian Islands, that part is actually part of France, it was technically a domestic flight. And I don't think anyone's ever going to break that record for, for a long domestic flight of almost 16,000 kilometres. That's uh, quite incredible. So um, it's not a regular flight. We're not going to see this happening again. It's uh, it's something that was a one-off. And now um, they obviously can't make the eastbound trip um, in one go because of the prevailing headwinds. So they're looking at stopping over in Vancouver on the way back. Um, and I did hear there's also a stop in Guadeloupe being planned for possibly the westbound flights going forward. Um, So I was curious whether this actually required modification of the Dreamliner because the published range is only 14,800 kilometres, which is nearly a thousand kilometres short of the distance for this particular flight. Um, Obviously, Singapore Airlines, they use an A350 for the um, Singapore to Newark flight, but that is modified. You know, that's a very premium heavy aircraft. And that means they have fewer passengers, fewer bags and are flying with a more lightweight aircraft. And therefore, it's able to go the distance. Um, Air Tahiti didn't have the time to modify its Dreamliner for the flight or add additional fuel tanks or anything like that. But what we're predicting, we didn't get the figures from the airline, unfortunately, yet. But what we're predicting is it had a super low load factor. Yeah, it must have done. 
Yeah, you know, we're we're hearing from airlines that wide bodies are typically traveling sort of 20, 30% full at the moment because yeah. of the, the general kind of decline in travel demand. So, you know, with only 20 or 30 or maybe even 40% of the regular passengers on board, I reckon the Dreamliner could make the trip. And obviously they thought so too. So uh, there's a new record holder. <laughs> mm. Well, congratulations to Ed Tahiti Nui. Definitely. Well, I think that's all we've got time for today. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and we'd welcome any feedback at podcast at simpleflying.com. For more great content, you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media. Simply search for Simple Fly. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a rating on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.